Zephaniah. Probably you guys know everything there is to know about Zephaniah, but if you don't, you will in five minutes and 37 seconds. The book of the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah lived during the final decades of the southern kingdom of Judah. It was when King Josiah had attempted to bring about real change in the land by removing idols and restoring the temple to the worship of Israel's God alone. But Israel was just too far gone. Worshiping other gods was too entrenched in the life of the people. And it ended up that Josiah's pride led him to a tragic death on the battlefield as he set Jerusalem on a collision course with Babylon. And Zephaniah, he had seen all of this coming. For years, he had been warning the leaders of Jerusalem. And this little book is a collection of his poetry summarizing his message. It's designed to have three main parts. The first focuses on the day of the Lord's judgment coming on Judah and Jerusalem. The second part is about the day of the Lord's judgment on the nations and Jerusalem again. And then the third section explores the hope that remains for the nations and for Jerusalem on the other side of God's judgment. The first section opens with the shocking reversal of Genesis 1. So God's good, ordered world is going to descend back into disorder and darkness and chaos, becoming uninhabitable once again. And as you keep reading, you realize Zephaniah is developing all of these powerful poetic images to describe how Jerusalem's world is going to end. All of the city's institutions for worshiping the gods of the Canaanites will be destroyed. All the leaders who perpetrated injustice, all the economic centers where crooked lending and borrowing took place, all of it will be gone along with the city's walls. Zephaniah develops these almost apocalyptic images to show the significance of what's going to happen. It all refers to a great army that is coming to take out Jerusalem. Now it's interesting that Zephaniah never mentions whose army God's going to use to bring this judgment. Now we know from the other prophets, Micah or Habakkuk, that it's Babylon. But Zephaniah never mentions that. And it's because he wants to highlight God's role in orchestrating the rise and fall of the city. And actually that's what gives Zephaniah hope. Not that Jerusalem as a whole can avoid its fate, but in the closing poem of section one, he calls on anyone in Jerusalem who would seek the Lord. And he says, these will make up the faithful remnant, the people who could be spared if they repent. In the second section, Zephaniah widens his focus to include the nations around Judah. So the Philistines or Moabites, the Ammonites, even the Assyrians. He accuses all of them of corruption and violence and arrogance, and he predicts that all of them will fall before Babylon too. And what's shocking is that the final people group targeted in this section are the Israelites in Jerusalem. It's like the leaders and prophets and priests of Israel are so corrupt and violent, so estranged from their God, that he doesn't even recognize them as his people anymore. And so this section ends with God's final decision. He says he's going to gather up all the nations, including Jerusalem, and pour out his burning indignation. God's justice becomes this consuming fire that devours evil from the land, which is really intense. And so the following line that brings us into the final part of the book comes as a total surprise. We discover that this burning fire of divine judgment is not aimed at destroying people. Rather, its purpose is to purify the nations, including Jerusalem. So the section begins as God says that he's going to heal and transform the rebellious nations into one unified family. And that after being purified, they're going to turn from their evil and call upon the name of the Lord. These images point to the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12 that God would find a way to bless the nations and Jerusalem as well. 
The conclusion of the book focuses on the restoration of the city at the center of the nations. God's presence is there in the restored city, along with that faithful remnant that's been humbled and transformed by God's mercy. And they're called to sing and rejoice. And then in this striking image, we're told that God is a poet who wants to sing too. Your God will live among you and he will celebrate you with songs of joy, Zephaniah says. The closing poem of the book ends with these very powerful images about God gathering up into his family, the outcast and the poor and the broken, where he exalts them into a place of honor. And that's how the book ends. This little book of Zephaniah, it contains some of the most intense images of God's justice and love that you find anywhere in the prophets. His justice is about his passion to protect and to rescue his world from the horror of human evil and violence. God won't tolerate the horrible things that humans do to each other and to his world. But he brings his justice in order to restore, in order to create a world where people can flourish in safety and peace because of his love. And so Zephaniah forces us to hold together these two aspects of God's character, his justice and his love. And he wants us to discover that together they contain the future hope of our world. And that's what the book of Zephaniah is all about. So every time we watch one of these, and I feel like we should just say, okay, that's it, let's go home. Uh, and I, I told our, our community group that I struggle with, you know, this because so much information's right there. I mean, like, what else do you add to that? And so I'm not really going to unpack the whole thing. You've got a good portion of that. I want to bring some light to a couple key verses. And one of the things that they did not mention there comes right out the beginning. It, it, it has to do with Zephaniah's perspective, Okay. And I, I purposely didn't put any notes on the back because I don't know what's important to you right now. I, as I've prayed over this for like the last month knowing I was going to be doing this, I feel like there's one particular thing in here I think is specifically timely for who we are right now. And I'll point that out in a minute, but there's a whole big space on your bulletin for you to take notes and you can start with whatever you want to. Uh, if you want to know a little bit more about Zephaniah's perspective, if you go to chapter 1, now, almost every one of these uh, minor prophets has, has introduced the prophet by saying, this is so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and it ends there, right? But with Zephaniah, it goes deeper. It says, the word of the Lord, which came to Zephaniah, son of Cushai, son of Gedaliah, son of Amariah, son of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. Why does that matter? Well, you hear Josiah, you know that King Josiah was that king that wanted to do things better. He kind of messed up after a while and ended up causing the whole, ended up actually bringing on the war with Babylon. Um, but if you go back further, you go into a whole bunch of like kings, like Hezekiah, like great grandma. This, his perspective, it's significant that they did that because it points out that Zephaniah grew up in the, in the castle. You know, he was part... He had a little stronger glimpse behind the veil of what was going on in the, in the country than your average Joe. Does that make sense? Like, he sees, and he's been watching from the time he's uh, a young child, bad king after bad king after bad king, and then a good king who tried to tear down all the idols but kind of fell short. So you see, coming from a royal family with a bad dad and a good uncle and disobedient and deliberately adulterous people, and through it all, Zephaniah has been warning God's people to tear down the idols and humble themselves before Yahweh. That is his perspective. Have you ever 
warned somebody and warned somebody and warned somebody and warned somebody and they just don't listen? Anybody? Do you have children? (laughs) Have you been that person that's been warned and warned and warned and warned and it took you getting flattened before you actually heard anything? So that is the perspective that you're seeing here from Zephaniah. He's seen it. He knows the depth of the depravity and the, and the adultery. When I say adultery, I'm, it's more of an apostasy. Hey, we made this covenant with Abraham. I'm going to be your God. You can be my people. And we say, okay, good. Sounds good. We're going to be your people, but we're going to also bring in people to our household. We're going to build these relationships with other nations by bringing other you know, marriages. And, and we're going to worship God, but we're going to worship and, you know, Yahweh and. Yahweh, that's a bad, bad deal. That's not the deal God, that's not the way God wants to be worshipped. Yeah, you get some of my worship, but over here, a little bit, they're gonna, we're going to give a little bit over here too. That's not it. And we'll get to that in a little bit. So that's his perspective. Um, his big battle cry, what is it? A lot, of the, a lot of the prophets have the same battle cry. What is it? The day of the Lord's coming, right? Verse 14 in chapter 1 it basically says it. It just says, the, you know, the day of the Lord is coming, and it's coming soon. So that's what it, And if you look in, in, in starting like in verse 14 and following, it says, near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen. The day of the Lord, and then it gives a whole litany of what that's going to be like. When God pours out justice... It's, it's not going to be a pretty sight. These are some of the descriptors. The warrior will cry out bitterly. It's a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of destructions and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of battle, a day you can't buy your way out of, a fiery day of judgment. In fact, a fiery day of judgment. I can't even remember the guy's name, but I was reading an early 19th century, uh, 20th century theologian says that Zephaniah is the hottest book in the Bible because everything's burning. I mean, it is one fiery, you know, retribution. After, I mean, after the, it's going to burn. It's going to burn. It's the hottest book in the Bible. I wish I could remember his name. Probably should have written it down. Um, my memory's good. It's just real short. Um, so anyway, that's what the day of the Lord, that's his, his warning. The day of the Lord is near. It's coming, and it's not going to be pretty. So we need, to, we need to get right. We need to worship God the right way. We need to be... We need to humble ourselves, and that's kind of where it goes from there. So Zephaniah's perspective, the day of the Lord is coming is this big battle cry. So what are the big issues in the book that you see among the people of Israel and Judah? What are the big issues? And if you look real close, I think they're going to sound familiar to the things you read in the paper, hear in the news, uh, and see uh, as you walk through this life. So number one, big issues. Uh, It should sound familiar. One of them, idolatry, adultery. Worship everything and everyone except Yahweh. You know, and and not even necessarily except Yahweh. Like I said before, it's, yeah, we'll worship Yahweh, but we're going to worship this one and this one and that one, you know, and it's kind of, that's kind of an issue. Is that still an issue here now? Do we have trouble worshiping other things? We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Pride and greed, accept no help from anyone, leaning on their own understanding. Seems like there's a scripture about not leaning on your own understanding, but... In all your ways, acknowledging God, and he will make your path straight. And there's something in the, in the book about that? Yeah, I feel like there is. Um, but that's, that's a real issue. And it wasn't just the people. It, was, it's, it, it kind of flows downhill. The leadership was really bad. The leaders who should be watching over the people 
I couldn't come up with a better word. They're just whacked. I mean, they just have no clue what's going on. And, and, and they, they, they're trying to lead by their own wisdom or lack thereof with no regard for the clear instructions of God. He calls the princes lions. You think he'd have any idea what really went on with the princes of, of Israel and Judah? Coming from his perspective, remember where he, where he grew up? He, he would understand that those were lions who devoured the people. And then the judges, they called wolves who'd come in in the middle of the night and, and, and eat the rest of the stuff up, right? The prophets were reckless and treacherous men. The priests profaned the sanctuary. I mean, does that sound like anything you hear today? I mean, didn't we just... We, we've beaten up the Catholic Church for a long, for a long time about the stuff that goes, that's gone down for them in the, the news... But didn't we just come out with a Southern Baptist report about a bunch of folks that, that profane the sanctuary as well? Guys, we need to hear the warning of Zephaniah. Okay, so here's, here's the point that pick what you want to take to your community group. This is a so what portion, okay? I think in, in all this, you give the background so you can get to the so what portion. And here's, here's a few things that I think um, that we should be kind of thinking about, talking about in our small groups and in our families. First of all, the number one thing is we must worship God above all. You see this picture right here, right? Now, Laura, Laura's a teacher, but she also works for the Browns doing catering. And, you know, we see it, she sees it firsthand. Man, there, there's, there's worship that goes on. When you see that first picture right there, and you see those people reaching down and, and trying to just, just trying to touch the hem of the, I mean, the helmet. We, we worship athletes. What's the other picture up there? Anybody know what that is? Huh? The Beatles. Have you ever seen... There, there are three musicians in history, and maybe a couple now, that garnered that kind of crazed fandom in worship. The Beatles, Elvis, who else? Mm-hmm. Michael Jackson. And now, if you're my daughter, it's Taylor Swift. Um, she knows every word of every song that Taylor's ever recorded. I'm wondering if we worshiped God like we worship some of those people, if we'd know more words that he's recorded. I know it's easier to remember songs than it is to memorize scripture, and the older I get, the harder it is. Who was talking about that the other day? But it's just, we need to worship God above all, Right? What was all the, all the songs this morning? Did you notice a theme in that? That they were all about how we worship him? We need to quit worshiping people and possessions and all that and really with our whole heart worship him above all. And where we get into trouble with that is when we start worshiping him above all but we start giving a little bit of worship to this over here. Got to be careful how much gravity you give to whatever this over here is. Jen's a huge sports fan. I'm just kidding. She's not. But in the first service, I picked on Mike Mills because he is all things Washington and, except for Baltimore. 
because he doesn't like the Nationals. But, man, if you see, if you follow him on, on any sort of social media, man, his kids are decked out. They're completely brainwashed. He's, he's got, you know, they've got all that Washington football team and, and, and the, the Baltimore Orioles. I mean, we're just eat up with it. And football season's around. We, I mean, we're the greatest, thing, biggest thing we're just following. What's, as sports fans, we follow the Browns? I mean, they're miserable. I mean, they've not won in forever. They had a pretty good year a couple years ago, but we're known more for our, our craziness than we are our, our victories, and we still worship them. Guys, I'm all for being a great fan and enjoying that moment. Uh, one of my good buddies is one of those guys that you see every Sunday on the ball game. He's got his head all shaved and painted. He's at the front of the dog pound leaning over like this, you know, great big old dude, and he's just crazed. And if it's not him, it's his brother that takes the seat, and he does the same thing, and they're just crazed. He's also the president of our school board. I mean, crazy fans. What if we were to worship God with that same kind of fervor? Anyway. That's number one. That's not the big takeaway. Number two, um, and this kind of highlights chapter 2, verse 3. says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. See, this is our hope. Our hope is not that we will ever be good enough. It was not, we, are, we are positionally righteous in Christ, right? We've won, the, we've won the war, but the truth of it is we are going to be more, we will bring more glory to God. Uh, God will be more pleased with us when we lay down control of our lives and approach him in humility and righteousness. And, and, it be, and that will bring righteous action, right? I mean, you, you, you see this, you know, you're just laying down, bowing down before him. Everything about our world says, look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get better. I'm going to be better than you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make me better and you less. And that is not the way scripture goes. That is not the teaching of Scripture. We are positionally righteous, but we have no hope except that we get out of the way and let God lead. Amen. Okay? And that is a warning here. Look, even your, you know, the leaders, the leaders, I mean, does it sound like our people, the government people are trying to think, you know, I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. If you're not half crazy, you're not getting elected. You know, I mean, who wants that job? You have to be so full of yourself to run for the... And there, there's not a lot of people out there, um, again, on either side of the aisle, that are humble and righteous. When I find those people, I vote for them. Right? Same thing in the church. You see people that are, that are in leadership and they want to dictate, and they want to, and, and it just gets us in trouble. We need to humbly serve one another. We need to, what is that word we always use for husbands and wives? The wives should be what? Submissive. You know, that's not a big issue when you read the whole context of that scripture, because it starts out by saying we should all be submissive to one another under Christ. We submit to Christ, and we submit to one another. And that's the whole context of it. Like, we don't go at this like, hey, I'm better than you, so you should submit. We should, we should be submitting to one another. And that's kind of the, the, not the way we approach things in this world. And this is the warning of Zephaniah. 
We need to come to our relationships, specifically with God and other, with others, with humility and righteousness. Third thing. This is a weird one. We have to realize and understand that sometimes fire is not punishment, but purification. Did you catch that in the little video? That fire was used to purify rather than necessarily... I mean, there is punishment, but the whole purpose of that was to purify the people. Um, verse, chapter 3, verse 9. For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. And the, the, the follow-up to that is, in that day you will feel no shame. I think a lot of us feel like the troubles that we go through, uh, we, we handle it poorly. We handle the troubles that we go through with a, why me, Lord? Hey, I was in church. I've been in church. I'm leading worship. I'm doing this. I've, I went on a mission trip. I've done this. I, you know, why me, Lord? Why would this happen in my life? Wrong question. Wrong question altogether. If we know the promise of Scripture that God will work all things together for good for those who, called, who love him and are called according to his spirit. We know the promise of Scripture then it's not about why me, Lord. It's like, what's next? How are you going to receive your glory now that this terrible thing's happened in my life? How can we use this knowing full well that you are still God and I'm still not? How am I going to use this terrible thing that wasn't my fault or maybe not even, you, you didn't cause it. It's a result of in this world we will have trouble. How do we use this and still be faithful, and, and you still receive your glory. That's a different question altogether. And if we approach troubles in our life that way, and, and I, know, I know that's real easy to say, but in the midst of your trouble, you're still like, you're just fighting to say, why? You know, and I get it. But we need to, we need to understand that sometimes God uses these difficult things to purify us and make us more righteous and more... Um, I think about people who've gone through difficult times, and, and even Danielle right now, how gracious she is in all that. I mean, you don't hear, I mean, I hear her pain when she describes what she's going through. She had, what'd she say, 31 minutes straight of seizure last week? Um, for her direct to, to mention that, I hear her physical pain in that. I don't know what God's going to do to receive glory out of that, but I know that Danielle's going to be willing to give it to him. And I see that in some people who have the right, who are asking the right questions. Uh, fourth thing, and this is the one big takeaway that in our group, we're, this is what we're talking about this, this, this Wednesday, okay? So the song that we just sang says, There wasn't a day, what was it, that you weren't by my side? Never, you never let me go. Here's the fourth thing that I'll mention. We have to recognize that we will never fight alone. Look, I found a really cool uh, picture of this scripture in, in chapter 3, verse 17. Of all the scriptures in Zephaniah, this is the one that popped out to me that I thought, this is for us right now. Look at this scripture. Go to the next slide. The Lord, your God, is with you. He's mighty to save. 
He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I love, love, love this verse. Here's a couple things. God will, we will never have to battle alone. God is mighty to save. He's going to battle with us in the midst of our anxiety and depression. Is that something you struggle with? Is that something you, people around you struggle with, anxiety and depression? We live in a world that's a lot of trouble. What does it say? He will quiet you with his love. We've got all these voices in our head that are telling us, you're not enough, or, you're, or you need to be doing more, or this, or whatever. When I hear that he will quiet you with his love, not only is he mighty to save, he's going to fight with us, but he's going to be that person that speaks into our life. And he's going to be fighting with us in the midst of our battle with anxiety and depression. He's going to be battling with us in the midst of our uh, pain and illness. This morning, or this like last two or three days, I've kind of, I really needed to mow my grass. Both my boys are coming home this week. Uh, I think tomorrow, actually. Um, J.D.'s coming up from Atlanta, and J Jamie's coming down, and we're going to have the whole family. And I just want our, our yard to look good. It's one of those things that I really like to do. But I've had so much pain in my foot, I couldn't, I've barely been able to stand up the last couple of days. And this morning, before, the, before church, one of the ladies in the first service, can I pray for you? Absolutely. She prayed for me. Between the prayer and the, I stopped at Rite Aid across the street and bought a plantar fasciitis thing to put in my shoe. And now I feel pretty good about things. God is going to fight with us in the, in, in the midst of our battle with pain and illness. This is insignificant. My foot is insignificant compared to what Danielle's going with and compared to what some of you guys are dealing with, people battling with cancer and other things that just, you know, e even the COVID stuff, I, I may have had it, and, and as many homes as I've been in, likely I at some point in time have had it, but I've never tested positive for COVID. Probably next week you'll, you'll hear that I did, but... Um, God is battling with us in the midst of our battles with pain and illness. God is battling with us in the midst of our addictions. God desires for us to be completely dependent on him, not on anything else. <laughs> I told a funny story. In a, well, I think it's funny. Um, years ago, my wife's cringing right now because she knows where this is going. Years ago, I was playing a lot of golf, and um, a, some friends of ours that I bought my golf clubs for, their daughter was a massage therapist. And my back was really hurting, and she said, oh, you really need to go see whatever her daughter's name was. I said, sweetheart, I am a preacher. There's no way in the world I can go to a massage parlor. <laughs> now, the massage therapy is 100% legit and all that kind of stuff, um, but you can see in our world where it could turn into something bad if you let it or encourage it, right? I mean, we're not going to go there in this conversation uh, with Browns and all that kind of stuff, but we, it, it can turn into something bad, so I was kind of trying to stay away from all that. Well, my wife, trying to help me out with some of my back pain and things like that, ordered something that she saw on Facebook or whatever a while back, and it felt like that was going to be a good thing, and it came in, and I'm thinking it's some of these supplements that I take for my diet and all that, but I, I'm, I'm like, what is this? And it's, she thought she ordered one bottle, but instead she ordered five bottles of CBD gummies. <laughs> Not, I mean, again, my sweet little southern wife, a little naive to all these things, and I talked about this in the first service, and people were like, hey, listen, there's nothing, that's the good part of the plant. You can do the CBD. I, I, I know, 
I know, but just like the, the massage therapy, and I love massage therapy, so I probably would love the gummies, but you, know, you put 100 uh, Diet Dr. Peppers in a row and keep them cold, I'm going to drink them all. And so those kind of things, I feel like there's a slippery slope with those kind of things that I, with my personality that I probably don't need. So we kind of joked about this. I don't want to be dependent on CBD gummies or Diet Dr. Pepper or anything like that. We need to be completely dependent on My wife's over there like, oh, my gosh, did he just tell that story? Um, so God's battling us, battling with us in the midst of addictions. He's battling with us in the midst of injustice. Goodness gracious. You look at our world, I mean, it's pretty clear that there's still a lot of injustice going on out there. Um, the good news in all this is that because he's battling with us, and because of what we know about from the New Testament and his grace and what Jesus did on the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit, good news is, while we may struggle in some of these battles, we know in the end we win. What does that say? Your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He's already won. He's already saved me. You know, it's, he's mighty to save. Um, if we're willing to turn over the controls of our lives to him and follow his instructions on how to fight the fight, we may occasionally lose a battle, but in the end, we win the war. There's a lot of hope in that, is there not? It'll carry you through darker, troublesome moments in your life. Uh, this life we have in him by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us isn't meant to be problem-free. It's meant to be peaceful. And when I wrote that, I wrote it capital F-U-L-L, peaceful. Full of peace, trustful, full of trust, full of grace. I didn't, not trustful, fruitful. Full of fruit. Our life should bear fruit. What kind of fruit should it bear? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, mental, meekness, gentleness, against such things, self-control, against such things, there's no law, right? Those are the fruits that our life should be full of. The last thing that I see in that particular scripture that just, when we sang it down here, I had to stop singing. I was, I was, I was overwhelmed by it. I've, again, I don't normally pick on my wife so much, but I love when my kids were younger, she would make up the silliest little songs. And I think they were silly songs that her mom sang to her, too. But when our kids needed to be comforted or whatever, she would always have a song for them to sing over them. Is there anything more comforting than when a parent grabs their kids and just sings over them? Is there anything more comforting in the world? I don't think so. What does it say God wants to do with us? He wants to sing. The thought, the thought of God singing, like him looking down and saying, I know you're hurting, but let me sing this song to you. Or, man, I'm so proud of you. Let me sing this over you. Guys, I don't know what that does for you, but music is my language that, I mean, it, I'm very emotional with music and stuff. And that just... It overwhelms me. So, um, final thing. And, and it goes back to where we started. Final thing is we must be ready to always keep warning the people in our world that the day of the Lord is near. Guys, I don't care what political correctness looks like. I don't care anything about that stuff. 
If you've got people around you that don't know Jesus and they're struggling with living in this world like you would if you didn't know Jesus, you've got to warn them. Because i got news for you. Everything that I see in Scripture that needs to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back, I can only think of one other thing that's still in here that hasn't been fulfilled. And I think with the technology and the, the way our world lives right now, that could happen any moment. When I say the day of the Lord is at hand, there's a lot of people, they're going to experience the hottest book in the Bible. They're going to experience that judgment. And I don't care how big an enemy they are, you don't want that for anybody. To be separated from God for all eternity, if you've got family members you care about, if you've got workers you care about, if you've got enemies that you don't care about, that's what you, you need to be constantly warning them. Heed the warning of Zephaniah. Listen. The justice, the love, God's here for you. We're going to sing a song. And um, I think that everything about the book of Zephaniah says that we've got this really wrong. We've let everything kind of turn sideways on us, and it's, you know, we really need to get back to the heart of worship. And I asked Mike, about a month ago, I said, I, I don't know that we've ever sung that since I've been here in the last four years or however long it's been since I've been here. Do, do the people know the heart of worship, that old song? Anybody know that song? There's a line in there that gets me. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing we've made it. And I love the heart of worship in this church, but it changes every time we walk in the door. If we bring stuff in, you know, we need to humble ourselves and say, it's not about me, it's all about you. So as we come to the table, as they sing the song, um, we need to recognize that that's exactly what Christ did on the cross. He says, look, I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, but it's not about me. I'm laying my life down so that you might have hope and joy and peace and a future. Hear the word of Zephaniah. And let's come back to the heart of worship. Father, that's our prayer, that you would be pleased with the condition of our hearts this morning. And Father, if there be anything in us that's offensive, that you'd take it away, that you'd accept our, our uh, you grant forgiveness to us, that you'd hear our confession. We continually be measuring ourselves up against your standard and trying to become more and more like you because we know that positionally your grace has covered us. But we know functionally there's a lot of times we just really blow it. So to keep that from causing a problem with our relationship and for other people looking at us to keep them from seeing something that you're not about, Father, we pray and we confess and we ask that you would bring us back to your heart. Find us faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.